You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. James chapter 1 um, is where we'll be before we, we stand and read this. And um, I just want to remind you what we've come through recently in James, the last time we were here. Uh, preached a message called Upward for the Word. Um, and the four points were listen up, button up, don't blow up, and clean it up. And that the, in the Word, when you're, when you're ready to hear God's Word, you have to be swift to hear, listen up. You've got to be slow to speak, button up, don't blow up, be slow to wrath so you can hear what God wants to speak to you about, and then clean it up, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And that is the key to receiving and hearing God's word as you should. God's word is powerful. It is life-changing and it's fruit-producing and we need to elevate or we need to up our view of the importance of God's word in our lives and it really it cannot do its work in us if we don't come ready to hear it. And um, there have been many, many of us and we've heard hundreds, maybe thousands of messages in our lives and how many times Have we missed what we needed to hear because we weren't quick to hear, because we weren't slow to speak, because we were mad at something said, or we didn't come with a clean and ready heart to receive it, or we didn't come at all? You know, we may not want to know how many times we've missed something that God really wanted to give us. So James then takes that concept and and furthers it um, beyond hearing. And as important as hearing is to the process of God's word making a difference in our lives, there's a step further, there's a step beyond that is really just as vital. And if it's not present, it means the word of God has not made an impact on your life. And that is the phrase, be ye doers of the word. Be ye doers of the word. Let's stand together as we read James chapter 1. And we'll, we'll begin reading in verse 19 just for context. And we'll go down through verse 25. James says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. Listen up. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And receive with meekness the, the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. If God's word was able to save you, then God's word can meet your biggest needs still. And I'm thankful for that truth. Look down um, at verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed." You know, the series title is Faith Works, and this passage really drives that thought home. Here's the reality. Our works reveal our faith. If actions are not present in your life, 
That's not a small detail. Think of, think of faith and works like two oars in a boat. And if you've only got one oar in a boat, you're going around in circles. The only way to move forward uh, and make progress is with both oars. You need faith and you need works in your life. Faith is reflected in our works. James wrote this letter to believers who were facing persecution. They were facing pressure. And even though they knew the pressure could be used by God to mature them and grow them into what they were supposed to be, unless the word had involvement in that process, they were going to remain the same. God, God's word is the only thing that changes us. And when we remain the same, listen, I truly believe this. When we remain the same... We, we don't actually stay in neutral. You're never just standing still as a Christian. You are either moving forward or you're going backwards. And we're going to see tonight that our response to the word, it doesn't mean there's no neutral in the Christian life. It's either drive or it's reverse. And we're going to see that truth, I hope, this evening. May God bless the reading of his word. I appreciate your standing. You may be seated. I was trying to think of a good way to illustrate tonight's truth, and I found this story uh, written by a famous preacher you'd recognize. But in a book he wrote, Improving Your Serve, Chuck Swindoll wrote this. Let's pretend that you work for me. In fact, you're my executive assistant in a company that's growing rapidly. I'm the owner, and I'm interested in expanding overseas. So to pull this off, I make plans to travel abroad and stay there until the new branch office gets established. I make all the arrangements to take my family in the move to Europe for six to eight months, and I leave you in charge of the busy stateside organization. I tell you that I will write you regularly and give you direction and instructions. I leave and you stay. Months pass. A flow of letters are mailed from Europe and received by you at the national headquarters. And I spell out in those letters all of my expectations. Finally, I return. And soon after my arrival, I drive down to the office and I'm stunned. Grass and weeds have grown up high. Sounds like when I leave town and leave things to Brother Samuel. Grass and weeds have grown up high. A few windows along the street are broken. I, I walk into the receptionist's room and she's doing her nails. Judy. Chewing gum. Just kidding. Chewing gum. And listening to her favorite disco station. Sorry. I look around and notice the waste baskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed for weeks. And nobody seems concerned that the owner has returned. I ask about your whereabouts and someone in the crowd, the crowded lounge area points down the hall and yells, yeah, I think he's down there. Disturbed, I move in that direction and bump into you as you are finishing a chess game with our sales manager. I ask you to step into my office, which has been temporarily turned into a television room for watching afternoon soap operas. What in the world is going on? Well, what do you mean? Well, look at this place. Did you get any of my letters? Letters? Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure, we got every one of them. As a matter of fact, we have had letter study every Friday night since you left. 
We've even divided all the personnel into small groups and discussed many of the things you wrote. Some of those things were really interesting. Uh, You'll be pleased to know that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of your sentences and paragraphs. And one or two memorized an entire letter or two. There's some great stuff in those letters. Oh, okay, okay, but you got my letters, but you, I mean, you studied them, sure, and you meditated on them. You discussed them. You even memorized them. But what did you do about them? Do? Uh, we didn't do anything about them. You know, I, I, that's a humorous way to tell a very serious Bible principle. Because I do believe and I wonder if God views Eastside Baptist Church in that regard. I wonder if he looks at the letters he's left us and, and I'm sure he's thankful that we read them. I'm sure he's thankful that we've pondered them, that we've maybe memorized them, that we have Bibles or letter studies, that we get together and talk about it and, and that we, we appreciate the letters But I wonder if he's looking for doers and can't find any. You know, James said, be ye doers of the word. Christian maturity is more than exercise in hearing. You know, that that hearing must be accompanied by action. And there are many today that see the Christian life as intellectual exercise. They fall in love with learning the word, but they do not do the word, meaning they do not act upon what they know. And you can fill your brain with, with theological facts, but that by itself does not equal maturity. The word for doers implies the whole personality, the mind, the will, the emotions, the spirit, and the ideas that we don't just do, but that we are and therefore we do. I hope you get that. You see, it's one thing to be a mechanic. It's another to tinker with my car while I'm watching a YouTube video, which that's me, okay? Brother Heath is a mechanic. Brother Craig and, and Stephen and, and, and the, the guys down at the garage, they're mechanics. They do that because they are mechanics. I tinker, I dabble, that's it. You know, it's one thing to do a construction project or two, but it's another to be a contractor, to be a carpenter, to build or do things like that, like Brother Juan and others. It, you know, he does what he does because of who he is. I do it because I can't afford to pay Brother Juan. And it doesn't look nearly as good, by the way. But you see the difference? The, the idea of the word doer is not that you just go dabble. It's that you are who you are. You are a disciple. And because you're a disciple, then you're out there doing. You, you, as a follower, as a disciple, uh, you don't just dabble in doing. You do because you're a disciple. Real disciples do what they do because of what they are. Jesus said, you're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. John wrote, uh, and hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. That's what doers do. Doers are not people that just go through the motions. Doers are disciples who do what they do because they are what they are. Contrast that with a hearer. A hearer only signifies a person that passively listens. 
you could equate that to somebody who audits a college class. Anybody ever audited a college class before? I have too. When I, was, uh, when I first went on church staff, I was you know, 22 years old, just fresh out of college, and it was before Aaron and I got married, so I had a year uh, before we got married where I served on staff single, and, uh, and so I had lots of time. So my pastor, my first week that I got to uh, Bible Baptist Church in Stillwater uh, in August, late August of, that, of 2000, um, he said, okay, I'd like for you, you're the music director, which I wasn't really sure of my position until I got there. That was interesting. You're the music director, he said. Well, I wasn't a music major in college, and I didn't have a lot of training, and so he said, I would like for you to take some classes on music. And so I said, yes, sir. And so I went down to Oklahoma State University, a couple miles from the, from the church there, and, and, I, and I got a hold of somebody, an advisor, and uh, in the music department, and, and they, they pointed me. I said, I want to take music theory. I mean, I don't know why I wanted to take music theory, but I thought that would be a good place to start. So I, I, I found the music theory one teacher, the primary teacher, the instructor, and I went and knocked on his door and introduced myself. And, um, and he, he just kind of, you know, asked me a few questions about music. I had, I had some background, I had some knowledge, and, and not a lot, but, but enough, I think, for him to, to make me an offer. And he said, classes have already begun. You're really actually late to enroll in the semester. He said, but I will let you audit this class. He said, but in auditing the class... Um, you will, my one requirement is at the end of the semester, you take that final and you have to, in that final, have above a B. And so I said, yes, sir, let's try this. So, so I went and I went every, every class I could. I, I did all the projects. I did everything that the other kids in the class were doing. And by the end of the semester, I took that test. And I don't remember what grade I got exactly, but it was good enough for him to say, okay, I'll let you enroll in the next semester. So I tested out of that music theory class. But, yeah, but you know what? I was just an auditor. I, I was just going to the class to observe. And if I had wanted to, I could have skipped just about any day I really wanted to. I didn't have to turn in assignments, although I did. I didn't have to take quizzes, although I did. I didn't have to do all that stuff. I could have just gone and I could have just observed and I could have let all the students be students. And I was just auditing. But you know, I think that that is a reflection of what's happening in far too many churches. We have a lot of auditors, but not too many students. Too many churches are full of people auditing members who listen to the preaching and they listen to the teaching of God's word, but they don't have an intention of, of it impacting their life outside of class. They're just there to go to class. They're there to listen. But listen, a sermon might be presented and a final amen might be said, but that sermon is not finished when the church service ends. See, for the hearer, for the auditor, the sermon ends with, at the final amen. But for the doer, it's just beginning. One man wrote, a teacher or preacher may give an eloquent address on the gospel or explain ably some Old Testament prophecy about Christ. But when the sermon is done, it's not done. Sometimes re, uh, something remains to be done by the hearers in life. 
And if they content themselves with sentimental admiration or with enjoying the emotional or mental treat, they need not imagine that this is religion. That's not religion, he says. See, we're in trouble the day we become professional hearers. And I, I called this message ear candy. You know, I've got a pocket full of, of, of uh, cough drops here. And cough, my kids think cough drops, when they're little, they think cough drops are candy. They want to eat a cough drop. And then they try it. They're like, this is not candy. But, you know, candy, it tastes good. Candy, we like to eat. We, we like the taste of it. You know, when I drive and, and I'm traveling, I, I like to have candy. I like to have sunflower seeds and candy. Those are my driving snacks, okay? And dill pickle sunflower seeds, by the way. My wife hates the smell. So, um, but that's what I like. Who knows? I mean, that's weird, I know, but. What's that? Yeah, she thinks it is. Okay. You know, candy is good, but you know, candy doesn't really help you. Yeah, it might taste good, but there's not a lot of tr- nutritional value in candy. Well, you know, uh, it, that's very similar to what, how many people approach God's word when they attend a church service. Is that they, they, they like the way it sounds and, and they, they'll even say amen and they may even tell the preacher good message. And they may, may even say that was really good today, but it's just candy. You know, it's not something that they're going to take home and, may, and it's going to make a difference for them. You know, if our approach to preaching is simply to hear and enjoy and say good message without it producing change, we are doomed to fail. Here's how. Well, James says it this way. If you think all you need to, to do is hear and not do the word, you are deceiving yourself. And what does that look like? Well, how does that happen? Well, James gives us the explanation in verses 23 and 24. He says, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass, a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. See, using a mirror is not always pleasant. I mean, for some of you, it may be more pleasant than it is for the rest of us. But, you know, in our minds, we may have a mental picture of how we look. We may, we may deem ourselves handsome. We may imagine ourselves to be uh, a, a, a nice-looking person, but a mirror brings us back to reality. You know, sometimes, you know, you look in a mirror and, you know, and you start seeing those wrinkles. You start seeing... You know, the baggy eyes, you start seeing the graying hair. And you start seeing the, saggy, the sagging skin. And you may wish to go your way and forget what you saw. I, you know, there are plenty of times I look by a mirror. I, you know, I, I used to look in a mirror a lot more than I do now. I'll just say that. You know, the Bible, though, is a spiritual mirror. And many people experience a look into the word and they don't like what they see, so they lay it down. And they do nothing about it. On Friday, many of you were able to be at the wedding for Justin and Jacqueline. And it was a, it was a sweet wedding. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to Justin and Jacqueline as a married couple um, serving God and being active here at Eastside Baptist Church. I'm, I'm just excited about them. Well, I, I had the audacity, and I heard this secondhand, so I'm not really sure exactly what was said. But I had the audacity 
to talk a wife to talk about a wife submitting to her own husband during that message. And apparently some people in attendance did not like that point. And it was likely, my, in my opinion, it was probably a wife who struggles to submit to her own husband. But I'm not going to cast any stones. You know, sometimes the mirror is the last place we want to look. We don't like what we see. You know, and it's interesting. Most people, they're not struggling with the difficulty of the Old English in this King James Bible. They struggle with seeing what they don't want to see when they look into it. And it's not that they can't understand it. It's that they don't like what they see. And I, I like what Warren Wiersbe said about this. He said, a serious look into the word will lead to examination, which leads to restoration or fellowship with God. And, that, and then comes transformation. That should be the process that takes place when we look into God's word. Uh, we, we, we examine, we're restored, and then we're transformed. However... Folks often make three mistakes when looking into the mirror of God's word, according to Wearsby. And the first mistake is they just glance at themselves. They, just, they kind of just look as they walk by. Or maybe the lights are down and they don't really examine. If you have, listen, if you have heart trouble, and I heard somebody else use this illustration, but if you have heart trouble, do you want to go to the doctor and, and have them take out their iPhone and take a picture of the left side of your chest and say, okay, everything looks good. Or do you want the latest technology to go inside and reveal the true condition of your heart muscle? See, many glance at the Bible uh, at home and then they hope that the preacher's sermon presents a glance only. And then they want to hurry and get out because they don't want to be examined. But we need the word to reveal the innermost needs and sins and weaknesses of our heart so we can deal with those things and be restored to God and be transformed to live godly lives. We need it. The second mistake that people make is they forget what they see. Now, it's easy to forget what, what, what you see at a glance. And I've done that before where I look real quickly. I see something real fast and then I think I know what I saw. But when somebody really calls me on it, I'm not completely sure that that's what I saw. Because it's hard to remember what you see at a glance. You forget. In fact, a serious look at God's word reveals our sinfulness. It drives us to confess our sins. But many just glance and they kind of shake off that little twinge of, of guilt. And then they go on and sin. The third mistake that people make, according to Wearsby, is they fail to obey what the word says to do. Hearing and doing are not the same. You can hear the word and you can agree and you can say amen and you could be moved to jump over three rows of pews. I mean, that happens a lot down south. As soon as that happens in South Dakota, you know, we're going to be on YouTube because everyone's like, what is going on here? I've been in church services where that happens. People get real excited down there. We're more reserved and that's okay with me, but... But, but until you act on God's word, all that excitement is just excitement. Yeah. You know, you deceive yourself into thinking you're a spiritual. If you get all excited about the message, but change never happens. Right. See, a failure to respond correctly to God's word will create a prevailing pattern of self-deception. Right. I'm going to say that again, a failure, because that really is the... The, the glue of the thought tonight. A failure to respond correctly to God's word will create a prevailing pattern of self-deception. Pattern of self 
Too many of God's people consistently respond to God's word with indifference, forgetfulness, and disobedience. And the result of our failure to respond correctly is a prevailing pattern of self-deception in our lives. We see ourselves in the mirror and the word James uses is beholdeth. That implies attentiveness. In other words, the implication is there's a genuine look that's given. And there was attention and maybe time spent. But the hearer disregards what he sees and just goes his way unchanged. He forgets what manner of man he is. He disregards what he sees. And so just to illustrate this tonight. Joseph, can you come help me with this real quick? Can you pick that up and just bring it over here? I have, I have a mirror. You can just put it, just set it right here. Thank you. I have a mirror here. Okay. I, you're, yeah, you can go. That's fine. I just thought he might want to take a look, make sure. You're on YouTube now, by the way. But I have a mirror here, and you know what? It's not always fun to look in a mirror. So guess what I'm going to do? See yourself. You know, looking in the mirror. I mean, I, I, I want y'all to get your turn too. So I'm going to walk over here. How many of you kind of like, please turn that thing a different direction? How many of you are thinking that right now? You know, it's not always fun to look in a mirror. Like I said earlier, there are things that you see in a mirror that you don't always like to see. It's not very fun to see those things. And, and yet, every time that we open God's word, we are, we're looking into a spiritual mirror. But when you look in a mirror, you know, you might see a crooked nose. You might see ears that you think are too big. You might see a balding pattern. You might see circles under your eyes and, or a double chin. It can be no fun sometimes, but let's just say something simpler. Let's say you've got something in your teeth. You've got a big chunk of something green in your teeth. You, I mean, do you want to check real quick and make sure it's not you? <laughs> you see it, you, know, you look in a mirror and you see that chunk Let's just say it's spinach. I mean, I don't know. We'll just, it's, we'll just use that. And you don't really like that it's there. It looks bad. It makes you feel bad. But at the moment, when you might do something about it, you get a phone call on your cell phone. And so that, that call comes in. You're looking in the mirror. You're about to get the chunk out of there. And, but the phone rings and you, you forget the mirror and you forget the spinach and you turn and you walk away without making any changes. And you saw it, but you walked away and you forgot what condition you were truly in. And the, the sort of person that, was, that you revealed to be, the, the accurate picture of you was revealed. But because you got distracted, you forgot that the chunk was there and you went about your day. You went right back to work. You had meetings all afternoon. My wife and I, before we ever got married, we went out to eat with a couple at a Mexican restaurant. And I, 
I apparently had a big old chunk of cilantro in my teeth after eating salsa and sat through the whole meal and talked to them. And she never told me. I got in the car, I looked in the mirror, and I said, why didn't you tell me? And then and she said something weak, like, I don't think I noticed. And I'm like, yes, how could you not notice? It's like, it's, like, it's so big, it's like still in the Walmart sack. It's like a, a whole clump of cilantro. You know, that can happen, though. We see ourselves for who we are, and we want it to change. But, but we, we get distracted, and, and we, lo- we forget what we really looked like, and we go our way, and we forget, and it happens all the time spiritually. You know, the Word of God is opened either through preaching or your own Bible reading. I tend to apply this to preaching because it's talking about hearing. You're exposed to God's word and you see yourself. And it's clear in that moment that there are changes that ought to be made. But rather than come up with a plan to help you become a doer, you remain a hearer by leaving that encounter and doing nothing. You know, as soon as the amen is said, you've got a meeting to go to. And you forget about what God talked to you about. As soon as the amen gets said, you think, I I forgot to order the pizza. I've got to go call and order it and pick it up on the way home. You've got people coming over. I'm telling you, it is so easy to to be confronted by God's word and, and to hear something and think, I've got to change that and to leave that encounter and never do anything about it. That's how self deception works. See, you might even hear a message on on improving your walk with God. So maybe, maybe you hear a message on improving your walk with God. And what happens is, uh, you, know, you know that you've got to change. And so, you know, you, you hear it, you, you know that it's something you've got to do. But, but because you had a meeting right after the message, you leave and you don't do anything about it. And what happens is, in that moment then, there's a layer of deceit that gets, that gets connected, it gets added onto your mirror. Now, you can still use the mirror, but you don't see as clearly in the mirror anymore. So the next time you, you go back to church, and this time there's a message on being a witness. We, we've, we need to be better witnesses. You know, there shouldn't be a service that goes by that you're not looking at the foyer door, the front door saying, well, okay, I invited this person, this person. I wonder if they're coming today. You should be thinking that, about that should be something that we're always thinking. And you think, I've got to be a better witness. I, I need to tell somebody about Christ. It's been a long time since I've won somebody to the Lord. There's nobody here at Eastside because I won them. It's been a long time since, not just since I invited somebody, but since I even told somebody about Jesus. I've got to make a change. I need to be a better witness. But you leave at the end of the service and you don't ever do anything about that truth. And, be, and when you don't do something about the truth, I'm sorry, I got my saran wrap illustrations messing up here. Another layer is added to the mirror and now it's even harder to see. It's a little bit fuzzier. You hear another message about being kind, be kind, you know, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And you know that's something that you've got to work on because you haven't been very kind to somebody and, 
and you think, well, you know, I, they're not very nice to me, so why would I be nice to them? And, and, and yet you're convicted in that message. You think, I've got to go talk to them. But afterwards, you're busy, so you don't. And another layer of deceit gets added to your mirror. And it goes on and on and on. Pastor preaches about love works. And you think, and I need to get out in the community. I mean, I need to show, Sioux Falls needs to see that Eastside loves them. They do. And we don't, we don't want to just be kind of trapped behind our four walls. This is our area. This is our domain. No, we need to be out there. Showing the love of Christ to people. And, and, and that we have love and that love will re, be revealed in works. And you hear these things, you hear the love, the love works challenge this week and, and how you need to talk to guests. And you say, I do need to talk to guests. And I've seen those guests and I, I've talked to them, but I, I don't have their names down. Well, you're just going to have to humble yourself and go ask them. So I know I've got your name, but I've got to write it down and start that list in your Bible. I know I've got to start the list in my Bible. And I know I've got to invite a guest. We need to invite a guest over for lunch. And, you know, let's clean the house, make sure that we do that. You're convicted because love works. And, and you want to get involved in the community. So you've got to think of something to do in our community to show that love works. And you're convicted when those messages come. But after you leave here, you, you know, you've got supper to go get ready. And so there's another layer of deceit that gets thrown onto your mirror. And you know, and if this, it, it, you can still kind of use the mirror, but honestly, if I'm looking in that mirror right there, it's not very clear anymore. And for us Christians that have been saved a long, long time, there's a lot of layers of deceit on our mirrors. And for some of us, the layers of deceit, they're probably, it's probably that thick. And so when you go into the mirror, you think, hey, I, I don't really see much wrong. It's looking pretty good. Well, the reason you can't see anything wrong is because you're so self-deceived by all the layers of deceit from all the times that God has spoken to you through his word and you walked away without doing anything about it. No wonder you can't see clearly because your mirror is clouded. By self-deceit, layer upon layer upon layer. When you're trying to look into the mirror of God's word, you're not seeing clearly anymore. Message after message goes by. And you say, well, you know, the messages aren't really speaking to me. Well, I, I mean, I understand not every message is a home run, but every message contains something true. And if it contains something true, it is not my responsibility to, to make you do something with it. At some point, a mature Christian, through the help of the Holy Spirit and God's word, has to say, "What well, you know what, I'm not waiting for the pastor to apply this message to me anymore. I'm a mature Christian, I've been saved long enough, and I'm going to figure out a way to apply this message to my own life. Well, without having my, have my hand held as we walk through it together, it's not the pastor's responsibility every time. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to pray, Holy Holy Spirit, would you please work through this message and show me what I need to change? That's not always my responsibility. It is your responsibility between you and God to say, God, how should I apply this? And if you've gotten to the point where no message ever speaks to you, it's probably because the layers of deceit are so thick that you can't see anything clearly anymore. Those layers of deceit block your ability to see yourself. 
If you have a chunk of something in your teeth, or you've got a smudge, or you've got your hair sticking up, you'd never see it because of the layers upon layers of self-deceit. Here's the thing. The more truth that you hear, the more likely you are to be deceived. Here at Eastside, you know, we, we do church more than most people. It's not, I'm not saying that as a point of pride. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. But here at Eastside, we meet three times a week. And on Sunday mornings, you've got two messages. Sunday school, you've got the sermon, you've got a Sunday night, you've got a Wednesday night. If you're in, your wor- in the Word every day, which you should be, you're hearing truth every day. You've got maybe family devotions. You've got other formats or messages you're listening to in which truth is conveyed. And there are th- hundreds and thousands of messages running through our heads and hearts all the time. You know, we would be on the most likely to be deceived uh, scale. We'd be way over here, most likely to be deceived because there's truth coming into our ears and hearts all the time. And that means if any group of people ought to be desperately serious about being doers so we're not deceived, it's us. We're good at hearing, but sometimes we end the message at at amen, when in reality the message has just begun. It's now time to say when a message ends, okay, here's my plan to do with this truth what God has spoken to me about. This is why I aim for expositional preaching. You know, when I preach, and it's different, I know, than maybe what you prefer or maybe what you've heard. There are a lot of preachers that preach great messages, and, and in most messages, they've got three, three points, and they've got good points and good outlines and good illustrations, and, and I think, man, I wish I could do that. On the other hand, I do believe that in every text, it's, there's one big idea. And honestly, if I preached every message a shotgun with five different points for you to remember and you're getting that three times a week, you've got 20 points to remember by the time the week is over. But see, here's my heart as your pastor. I'm not trying to give you 20 points. I want, you to, I want to give you three solid points to think about because I know what it's like to have all these things coming in all the time and I can't even hardly handle and process them all. So expositional preaching, the idea is that you go through a passage and you get one big idea. And that one big idea is what you try to convey every message. And listen, I know that that kind of preaching may not get as many amens along the way. But I'm more concerned with you getting one thought than I am pushing a spiritual amen button every time I preach. And we have so much to process that we must, do, we must be better at applying what we hear every week or else we will be spiritually deceived. And every time we hear a message, we're like, I'm doing good. Well, maybe you, you don't see it clearly because when you look into God's word, into God, this mirror, you are, the, the layers of deceit are preventing you from seeing what you're supposed to see. Listen, I, I plan to visit this passage again in a more practical way in the future, but I just want to, I want to close with this concept and close is a loose term, okay? Look down at verse 25. Here's the contrast. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. See, the opposite of the hearer is a doer. And what does he do? He looks into the perfect law of liberty. 
It looks, this word look, the Greek word, it means to stoop to a thing in order to see it. The other word, behold, is kind of give attention to, but this one is to bend your body, to get down and examine if you've ever lost a contact. That's this word. It's the same word used when Peter came to the tomb on the third day. And he ran up to the tomb and he wasn't like, huh, I wonder if Jesus is in there. No, he, he leaned around the corner to see if Jesus was there and his body wasn't, by the way. That's this word. Whoso looketh, whoever peers, whoever takes their time to really get down and get close. This is not a glance. This is an attempt to get as close as you can to see it. Whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty like that. Now, and now continuance in the word frees us. It's the law. He says the law of liberty, it frees us from the bondage of sin. It gives us liberty to live the Christian life. It gives us freedom to love and serve and honor God. If you submit yourself, you look into the perfect law of liberty. It frees you up because it keeps you away from sin, the bondage. That's the idea. And you continue therein, which means you steadfastly and continuously look to God's word as the source of wisdom for your life. If you'll be that kind of person, it's not a one time a week kind of a thing. It's an everyday kind of a thing for you. And if you will every day look into God's word, God, what, what do you want me to see here? What do you want to speak to me about before you come into church? You know, maybe you should stop in your car and say, God, please, I want to know what you want to speak to me about. I'm not content to just come and add another layer of deceit and cloud my vision of what you want to do. I really want to get it today. God, please speak to me. You're peering into God's word. Tonight, maybe, you're, I mean, you're looking at the words. You're trying to register them in your mind because you're not content to just hear another message and walk away with nothing changed. That's the idea of someone who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein. And by the way, continues therein doesn't mean that you just come to church every service, which you should. It means that tomorrow you're looking into God's word. And Tuesday on your own, you're looking into God's word. Because you're not content to be, to be deceived anymore. You're not content to hear and not change. You want God to make a change and a difference in your life. You've got to continue therein. The Bible says that kind of person, this man, shall be blessed in his deed. What, which man? Well, the obedient man, the doer. He'll be blessed. Not enslaved, not deprived, not made miserable, blessed. Blessed means inner prosperity of soul in spite of your circumstances. The person who consistently lives out the principles of God's word will have inner prosperity of soul. That's what it means. The deed does the blessing. So just consider, consider this. Every encounter with God's word leads to one of two places. Deception or blessing. Every encounter with God's word will either deceive you or it'll bless you. It depends on your response. Your response determines if you get deceived and your, de- your response determines if you get blessed. There's no standing still. There's no neutral. Every encounter with God's word either leads to moving ahead or going backwards. You're either blessed or you're deceived. If you look and leave, 
about look and live. If you look and leave, deceive. If you look and linger, blessing. Which one do you want? Eastside, have we grown complacent in God's word? Nothing out of our reading or preaching lately. I've asked young people that. You know, when's the last time God spoke to you in a message? I don't know. It breaks my heart. I mean, when I was a, when I was a kid, I mean, I, was, I, I remember being so sensitive to God's word as a nine-year-old. I joke about it. I used to be so sensitive to God's word that I, my dad, he, he, I used to joke that he, or he used to joke that he would make like pre-printed decision slips for Jason Jet. Just have my name on there. Well, what do you do this week? You surrender to the mission field again. I mean, I was just, I was sensitive. And I remember that as being 9, 10, 11 years old. But then I remember being a 15 or 16 year old kid and I was too cool to do that anymore. Yeah. And I would come and I would sit back and I remember going through some, some droughts, spiritual droughts as a teenager and God wasn't really speaking to me. And you know what? It wasn't my dad's preaching. It was because I had heard so many messages that had layers of deceit on my life and I didn't know it. And God's word, he wanted to make a change, but I wasn't ready to hear it because I was deceived. But listen, we, there ought to be, there's truth enough in every message that there's something to do with it. And it's your responsibility to ask the Lord, God, help me apply this. What does this look like in my life tomorrow? And if the Lord works in your heart about a truth that can be change, a life change for you and you walk away without hearing Deceit. But if you say, no, tomorrow I'm going to implement this plan and I will continue in God's word and I'm going to move forward with this, you will be blessed. Listen, have, have you turned preaching into ear candy? You know, it's nice, but it doesn't really penetrate. Brother Chad's lesson's great. They're, they're really good. But, you know, it's not like it's, it's not like we're going to implement that. You know, it's not producing maturity. It's not changing or growing us. No, if those layers of deceit are hindering your spiritual vision, is it time to confess and forsake those things and ask God to remove the layers? Because you know, it, you know the thing is, all the layers of deceit built up in our lives, you know, they can come off in one night. Like they could be removed tonight. And all the years or months that you've been just hearing and not doing and the deceit that's come because you haven't been doing anything about it. You know, God can forgive and he can wipe that clean. And next time you come in and God's word is preached, it's almost like you're going to see God's word brand new. When you finally get things right, self-deceit is a sin that God can forgive. And he wants to. Have you forgotten what it's like to apply God's word? You know, one of the practices that I'd love for Eastside to be better at and I've got a teacher preach on it, but is that, that you don't have to have somebody tell you how to apply a message. Amen. That the truth of God's word and the Holy Spirit of God is enough for you to say, you know, this is, this is how this looks. This is what it looks like for me tomorrow. So when's the last time that you sought the Lord about applying a message? Do you apply it to yourself or do you typically say, well, that's good for them. You know, the next time I I plan to get real practical, but for tonight, let me ask, have you become a hearer only? 
Where's the visible change being produced in your life when you have an encounter with God's word? To that, I would say, stop being indifferent about God's word. Stop being forgetful about God's word. And stop being disobedient to God's word. Because every time you are, it adds a layer of deceit. And it's time to stop assuming a message ends at amen and come up with a solid way to apply what you hear when you're confronted with God's word. I guess what I would say tonight, you know, a few messages ago, I said, don't, don't be a victim, be a student. Because a lot of people, when things are hard, they, they, they're victimized. And they embrace the victim. No, I say, don't be a victim, be a student. Learn. You know, the same thought is that don't be an auditor. Go ahead and enroll. Don't be an auditor. Be a student. Auditors have no obligations. Auditors are there and they're hearing and they're listening, but it's passive. But students say, you know what? I'm enrolled in this class and I want to give the best grade I can. I want to to be blessed in my deed. So I'm done being an auditor. I'm going to be a student. And I'm going to start applying the, the messages that God speaks to me through. Instead of just walking away, well, that was good, ear candy. No, God's word is more than ear candy. There's value in every truth. And we ought to maybe just take a step back and say, God, I appreciate the preaching. I appreciate the teaching and I have grown used to it. But I'm tired of the layers of deceit. God, help me see clearly again. Let's stand together. Every head bowed. As we help ourselves before the Lord, I think we should be, we should be willing to confront ourselves with this truth tonight. Because we've all heard many messages and we've not enacted change. And I'm just wondering how many of us in here are deceived. Would you submit yourself, humble yourself before God and say, God, I want to turn this around. I, I, don't want to be a, a self, I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to add more layers because I want God's word to be able to show me clearly what I am every time. Would you submit yourself tonight? And, and if he's prompted you this evening, we have a chance to practice exactly what we've been talking about. If the Lord's prompting you in some area, don't leave with no change. Make a change, make a decision, and implement a plan into your life and see what, what it means to be blessed in your deed. Father, thank you for the truth. Thank you for giving my voice and strength tonight. I pray you'd help us each to submit ourselves to this principle and go away, not, not just hearers, but go away doers. Use it in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. 